morning guys <clears throat> thanks for all the good questions that i received over the last couple of days so if anybody that doesn't know these morning chats are mostly for me to share some good news that's going on keep myself busy answer questions that i know a lot of people come with come to me with anyway so especially friends family and people who follow me on twitter and just to you know, do something nice while we're all trapped inside and hopefully get some conversations going. <clears throat> Still got this slight sore throat, so I'm maybe clearing my throat a little bit, but I'll try not to. But anyway, so it's 9 degrees here in Amsterdam, 13 degrees in Brussels, 17 in Paris, 20 in Bucharest, and 13 in London. It's going to be quite a warm day anyway, so if anybody wants... To enjoy this time, you may as well go outside and actually enjoy this. We're still allowed to go outside and get some exercise during this lockdown, so you may as well make the most of it. But to begin with some good news, it's looking like a lot of countries are either reaching the peak of this uh, infection or passing the peak. So Spain and Italy are on the way down now when it comes to infections and deaths, so that's very good news. Germany and France are about to hit the peak, so it's it's going to be a little touch and go for a little while, but it's going to get better and things are going to work out. And the USA and the UK are going to be hitting that peak at some point, though nobody can really tell when. Right now it's not looking too good, but we can always have we can always have some, you know, positive views of what's happening. I mean, one positive is that Boris Johnson is now not in the intensive care unit anymore. So, you know, there's a little less chance of panic in the public and people having a poor reaction to what's been going on. Hi, common man. And there is some, also some really good news from the EU where a lot of people were starting to say that the EU wasn't able to actually react to this, wasn't able to actually do what it needed to do and wasn't able to actually take part in what was happening. And basically in its fastest reaction in its history, the EU finance ministers managed to agree on a 500 billion euro emergency fund that's going to immediately go out and help all the member states deal with this crisis, deal with all the essential issues that need to be dealt with, and effectively do what the EU failed to do fast enough during the euro crisis in helping countries like Spain, Portugal, Italy, Ireland, and Greece. Well, it took quite a long time to actually get to the point of being able to have an effect and help people. However, there's now the proposal of the stimulus package that's going to be coming further down the line. And that's going to be, if the French proposals are what's taking up, that's going to be another 500 billion euro that's going to go to be helping people and businesses to come out of this well and do this in a good way. However, the... Uh, issue with the euro slash corona bonds is still not being dealt with. The Netherlands has straight up said that it's going to refuse to do it in any circumstances. And that is just not going to really, it's not going to move from this position. So the European Union is going to have to work with the tools that it has. It's going to need to actually work with the issues that are going to pop up with existing mechanisms like the ECB and the any emergency funding that is possible through those institutions. and But that's all we've been helped by um, the new internal market commissioner, so Thierry Breton. 
who has been extremely active to the point that he was making moves before his federal commissioners even knew what was happening. And early on, he was contacting CEOs, government ministers, MEPs and journalists to coordinate the European response, the production of medical supplies, keeping them public informed and making sure that the telecom networks weren't going down, weren't getting hit as hard as they could have been. And so far it's worked, it's succeeded. He's been extremely active to the point that he's now drawing comparisons to um, uh, Gunther Oettinger, who was also very famous for just going completely off script and just doing whatever he felt was best at the same time, to the point that it sometimes caused a lot of friction with the people around him. Now, so for this, I've got a couple of questions that I want to cover that a few people asked me on Twitter and Instagram and in private messages. If you guys have any questions, feel free to throw them up in the chat. I'll try to respond to them as and when they come up, if I'm between questions or after I've covered these. So please, really, guys, just go ahead. Anything you have a question about, it doesn't just have to be politics. I'm happy to give you guys any answers that I can with my knowledge and expertise. But to start with, someone asked me what I think about the protectionist response to COVID-19 and the lack of international cooperation. So I'm, I'm of the opinion that we've been having a lot more international cooperation than a lot of people understand and, or can at least see from the first part because we've got an issue with, first of all, you've got the American President Trump is making up stories left, right and centre and muddling facts. And we also have a problem where people on the far left and the far right are having a lot of trouble actually sticking to the truth and tend to be pushing forward their perceptions of what's happening rather than what's actually happening. So one of the examples of this is um, Trump blaming the crisis on the WHO not being ready, which is uh, not necessarily, the, it's simply not the WHO's fault. Nobody was actually quite ready for what just happened and what's going on now because nobody foresaw this. I mean, a lot of people keep pointing out, yes, Scientists have been saying this for years and years and years now that we're, we're going to have a crisis, we're going to have a pandemic, it's only a matter of time. But the problem is that when you hear this too much, you tend to just assume that it's nonsense and that's what people did. And we are now paying the, we are now paying the price, but we are having a very strong reaction to this. I mean, for example, on a European level, there has been enormous support for fellow member states, including Italy, who was the hardest hit to um, help them deal with the crisis. I mean, you had millions, and I mean millions, of masks and medical supplies. I think Austria recently sent 4,000 litres of disinfectant liquids to Italy to help them deal with the crisis, and Austria is one of the countries that weathered this better than most, to the point that now they're starting to de-escalate their lockdown measures, starting to open up uh, smaller businesses and cafes and allowing people to go back in public and resume their lives. On, an, on a further like international level, you've got the uh, the Chinese state has also been showing a lot of support for European states. There is the question about whether this support has been working due to the fact that a lot of these medical supplies were defective, but we also need to take into consideration that a lot of these were hastily made in order to try and overcome the current crisis and to sort of fill supply, well, fill the demand because of the fact that a lot of countries didn't have the supplies at all. So there have been some failures, but 
overall the sport has been there, even if there has been the blame game being played by the Chinese state to have tried to shift the blame away and effectively, pardon my French, but pissed away any goodwill they may have had by blaming this on Italy or the European Union as a whole. Of course, we will have to wait and see what's happening now, but so far international cooperation is looking good. That's how far I'll go. There is a very bad thing that I would like to bring up, particularly in the fact that uh, certain French uh, ministers have been talking about testing the vaccine on African citizens rather than our own citizens. And I have to say that this kind of medical colonialism and, in my opinion, borderline racism isn't acceptable and this should be treated as severely as possible. And it's not really in the spirit of global cooperation either. And I'd say that other points such as I think Ian Bremer recently started talking about how it feels uh, it feels bad to see um, the West receiving aid from China, which is the completely wrong mentality to take to this. And again, that's sort of a hegemonic point of view to take and to view all of these issues because there's nothing wrong with the European Union or the US receiving aid from other larger states. That's simply not the case. What it means is that the Western programs to build up other countries and build up their abilities and capabilities has worked, that these countries are able to now help other countries rather than being dependent on foreign aid. And that means that a lot of these countries are now in a better place, which is a success story. It's not a negative. Now, the second question I was asked is, is Scottish independence likely? So, this is entirely dependent on a number of factors that isn't necessarily in the power of the Scottish government or the Scottish people. So, first of all, it depends entirely on whether Westminster wants to give Scotland its referendum, which is not at all likely in my point of view right now, because I believe that the closer to Brexit that a Scottish independence referendum is going to happen, the more likely the chances of an of an outvote taking place are. And Westminster is going to know this. Boris Johnson is going to know this. The Scottish Secretary is going to know this. They are not going to go for this. It's just simply not going to happen. We may have all have our personal preferences for Scottish independence. We may all have our preferences for seeing an independence Scotland in the European Union. So that we can go back up to 28 member states once Brexit's done. However, I don't think that it's likely at all. However, if it's... The question also is, what would happen if there was a yes vote? So the the European Union and the, the Parliament specifically has been making a lot of noise about uh, leaving the lights on for Scotland to rejoin the EU following Brexit, to allow Scotland to rejoin with little effort to that Scotland would get an easier ride of the whole situation. And this may be true. This uh, may just be political uh, manoeuvring from politicians on the European level. However, the uh, there is something to be said about that, where if we look at the fact that Scotland was a European member state within the U United Kingdom, it meets most of the criteria to be a European member state as an independent state. So in terms of uh, levels of democracy, transparency, governance, um, it, it would meet all of the criteria and specifically with the foreign affairs 
criteria, it would also make those. The big question is mostly how is the economic question handled? So the uh, we have to look at how the European Union would want to play this. So would they want to give Scotland an easier ride of things because it was a former member state as part of the United Kingdom? I'm not entirely sure because this could go very, very badly with future accession states and the accession process for other countries that are on underway and on the way now. We also need to ask ourselves, if that was not the case, would Scotland be willing to do the work it would want to do in order to become and I'm saying, would it be capable? Because we don't know what would happen with the oil reserves. We don't know what would happen with uh, banking, more not banking regulations, but the um, banking in Scotland. We don't know how their economy would look after they left the United Kingdom. So there are a lot of questions to ask about that. There's also a number of questions about whether member states would even want to open accession talks with Scotland. I mean, if you look at Spain, they may be very against this. France less so, but it would depend on the political situation with Corsica and even Brittany, believe it or not. And it's a complicated question. Another question that people asked me were, are people respecting lockdown measures overall? Now, this is a very, very complicated question because I've been in Amsterdam and here people have been slightly lax. And the the Dutch state went into what's considered an intelligent lockdown where what they are doing is they've locked down public meeting spots, but they are allowing people to meet in public and basically go on with their lives as long as it's less than three people. Now, just in the tower block I've been in, there have been a few parties since this lockdown went down. And alongside this, there have also been a lot of picnics in parks. So to the point that I'm having to, when I go for my regular runs to get my exercise every once in a while, I'm not able to go into the bigger parks or the lakes nearby uh, my house because of the fact that people are congregating in very high numbers and I just don't want to get sick. There's also the issue where people are, people are being creative when it comes to the lockdown here, where rather than taking public transport, they're cycling around everywhere, which they did anyway, but they're Public transport now is just completely empty. There's nobody on the metro. There's nobody on trains. There's nobody on trams or buses. People aren't, people are at least limiting their risks. Now in France, people seem to be respecting the lockdown and it's being seen in the way that people are, lower infection rates are starting to slow and people are starting to deal with this the way they should. The UK less so because I keep seeing these stories about picnics and on BBC News, all of these issues with people who are going out among about their daily lives. People are still using Tinder, Grindr, all of these dating apps to go on dates regularly, which is not a good idea. I mean, no matter how sure you are that someone else doesn't have coronavirus, you can never be sure. So just don't be dumb. And overall, it's... I mean, I'd respond to this by saying it's mixed. Like people are having mixed reactions to this and people are saying different things to different measures. In Austria, it seems to have worked. Things are opening up. They seem to have respected things. In Italy, after people became scared of mayors coming to their little ping pong parties in the public and screaming at them to go back indoors, people sort of started getting the message. 
And in Spain as well, people seem to have respected lockdown measures quite well because infection rates are going down. So it's a mixed bag. In the US, they're not respecting them at all from what I'm seeing. It's leading to a lot of unnecessary deaths. But overall, on a European level, we're doing okay. Now, another question. I've got two questions that are more personal now. So one is, what am I working on now? And the second one was, how have I found my experience of building up my career on Twitter? Uh, one's a little more interesting than the other. So I'll take the least interesting one now with a shorter reply. So right now I'm mostly looking at, uh, I'm mostly analyzing the, um, the way the EU reacted to Brexit throughout the negotiations and the process itself. So for me right now, I am writing my master's thesis and hoping to get this pushed a little further on uh, whether or not the uh, European Union framed the uh, Brexit situation as a security issue and how this led to it reacting to it in the ways it did. Uh, that's going to be uh, that's progressing quite well, actually, because I have quite a wide body of data. And obviously, I worked on Brexit for multiple years. So it's, it's quite interesting for me. And hopefully, it'll be interesting to other people. So when I put it out, people will want to read them. And the social media question is quite an interesting one. Because I'm of the view that it's it's very, very, very important to people who are looking to do public-facing jobs, whether that's PR, whether that's um, managing company, whether that's going into public affairs, whether that's going into politics itself. It's very, very important for people to pick up, especially young people, to pick up the tools and the skills and the experiences that you are going to learn and you're going to pick up through acting in the public sphere, particularly on things like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You learn a lot of skills through these, and my experience is that it has been very positive. So I was actually hired by Gina Miller because a friend of hers spotted me on Twitter and said, "We love, I like what you're doing. My friend's looking for some work. I can't tell you who, but uh, would you like to meet for coffee? And as time went on, I realized who it was where I was going, I ended up applying for this job, was interviewed and was taken on. And that was mostly because I was able to display my level of expertise on things like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. And uh, as well, my current role as the interim manager, managing director at Vocal Europe, that came about because I spotted Vocal Europe on Twitter and said, hey, do you guys need any commentators? Do you need anybody who knows French, British politics, Brexit, international affairs? And they were like, yeah. They invited me to send in a test piece. I did. They liked it. And then as time went on, I just kept, you know, building up my portfolio of work, uh, contributing more and then sort of rising through the ranks, as you would with any typical job. But there, there are some downsides to um, social media, and it's that you have to be very, very, very active to actually make it work. So I'm able to do this because of the fact that I can contributes quite a lot of time just sending out the odd comments on what's happening now and on Twitter, for example, and translating that elsewhere. But not everybody can, so it doesn't always work. So for some people, it may be easier to go for, I don't know, LinkedIn, where you can just make one big post and do this kind of thing. But aside from that, that's all the questions that I had today. If you guys like this, then you know please follow me on on here, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook. I'll also be uploading a video of this online soon. 
if you have any questions, send them to me however you're able to send them to me, honestly. Uh, I, you can get in contact with me on Twitter. You can get in contact with me on my Facebook page, Julian Hoes. You can get in contact with me on Instagram, just whatever. You can you can even just comment on my... Uh, I think you can comment on Periscope or you can comment on the YouTube video that this is going to eventually become. And you'll be able to ask me any specific questions that you may have, ask me any specific topics that you'd like me to discuss. And yeah, I hope that you guys have a lovely day. I hope that you guys are coping with the situation well. I'm also happy to give any advice or listen to any venting that you'd like to do. And otherwise, have a great day. See you guys on... I'll do the next episode on Sunday. So I'm trying to do episodes every two days. And yeah, just send me any questions you may have and have a lovely day, guys. Take care. Now I just need to figure out how to turn this off. There we go.